This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Dinky Donuts. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 95. Today's guest is a graduate of the Yale School of Drama. You know her from so many TV shows, films, and stage productions, including Silicon Valley, Two Guys, A Girl in a Pizza Place. And of course, she coined the term yada, yada, yada as George's girlfriend, Marcy, in the classic season eight episode of Seinfeld, The Yada, Yada. Suzanne Cryer. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thursday. Instagram at This Thursday. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 95, Suzanne Cryer. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 95. Today's guest is a graduate of the Yale School of Drama. You know her from Two Guys, A Girl in a Pizza Place, Dexter, Shameless, Silicon Valley, and All Rise. And of course, she coined the term yada, yada, yada as George's girlfriend, Marcy, in the classic season eight episode of Seinfeld, the yada, yada, yada. Please welcome Suzanne Cryer. Suzanne, thanks for joining. It is my pleasure. I was lucky enough to do uh, one of the best Seinfeld episodes ever. And so I am uh, i haven't talked about it in a really long time. So this will be an interesting jog down memory lane. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's take a let's take a take a deep dive. So take us back. This air the Yada Yada episode aired April 24th, 1997. Um, so tell us a little bit about how the role came about, the, the audition process. Would love to hear kind of uh, how you got the the classic role of Marcy. So um, unlike most chicks in Hollywood, I don't care who knows my age. So I'm happy to talk about that. I was born in 67. So I was 30. And um, 30 was uh, a really, really, a really sweet, a really sweet time for me. I was, it was really great. I had gotten out of Yale drama school and I had done some regional theater in New York uh, in that area, which was great because I loved doing theater. I'd come out to LA to do a play, a great play, a really, really great play, which actually has some overlap with this episode because the play that I did was called Collected Stories. And it was by Donald Margulies. It was this two-hander play that he was still developing. And we were doing it down at South Coast Rep. And I flew out to LA to audition for this play because I had a feeling about it. And I got it um, and it was, in this small theater, but it was a really, really big hit. It was a, it was a big deal, this play. And uh, it went on to, I did it with this incredible, incredible actress. Um, it was about a Jewish writer and this waspy, neurotic girl um, who, who then kind of takes her life and, and novelizes it. And it's, it's a fascinating little two-hander. And, uh, it went on to go back to New York. And I know this is a long way to get to Seinfeld, but trust me, I am going to get there. No, no, so, 
I did this play down at South Coast Rep and it got like all these great reviews and it was really a life-changing experience. It was this incredible thing. And then um, I kind of started getting other things. And one of the things I got was I got the, the, the West Coast premiere of Arcadia at the Taper and I got Wag the Dog. Oh, yeah. um, Right. So I was, which they never let you do that. The, the taper, they, they really back then, and I'm sure still now, they hate you doing any kind of, of film or TV while you're in a play because they really want to discourage that because it's a nightmare for them scheduling wise. But we begged and pleaded because I'm sure, I hope your audiences remember Wag the Dog because it's, it's really like up there with Seinfeld. I mean, I've been really pretty lucky. It's not like I'm the most famous person in the world. I'm very D-list, but I've gotten to do some really super things. And Wag the Dog was one of those really, really big deals because it was with yeah. was Dustin with Nero and Dustin Hoffman and Barry Levinson directed it and Woody Harrelson. I mean, Anne Hayes, she was just, it was incredible. So I was doing like, that was taking place when I was 30. And then I was supposed to go, I got the lead of Neil Simon's play. It was like the first time he had ever oh, written wow. a female lead of a play. So I was supposed to go back to Broadway but collected stories, the play that I had come out to do was going east and going to be done at Playwrights Horizons or someplace. I can't remember where. So I wasn't available to do it. I don't know if they wanted me anyway, but I was going off to do the Neil Simon play, which was just crazy. And so they had to, they were recasting and they were, they were casting the play. And I was friends with Deb Messing. Uh. And Deb was up. I knew Deb from, because we both got out. She got an at NYU. And, and so I'm t- so now you can see where this is getting closer to Seinfeld because yeah. she's in this episode pretty yeah. tangentially, but she's important in Seinfeld because she's like Jerry's dream girl. Um, but Deb, who's just like remarkably talented and incredibly different than me, was auditioning for the role that I was no longer doing so that she could do the New York production. So we went out for drinks and I talked to her about like, I know this director, this is what you need to do. Don't wear any makeup, go in, you know, blah, 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 blah. So Deb went on to go do that play in New York. And it was really, really funny because I went to New York playing the quintessential Jewish girl, Neil Simons. And literally Deb went off. We were in the wrong roles, really, honestly. Deb should have been doing my Broadway play and I should have been doing Collected Stories because that was the quintessential wasp. But it's just pretty funny. It just goes to show <laughs> nowadays we probably wouldn't be allowed to be playing the wrong religion. But back then we were. So um, so uh, I had been working. I've been kind of lucky. I was, you know, nervous and new and you never think you're ever going to work. And everything you get, it seems like a miracle. And it's still the, the way. But I said to my agents and I can't remember where I was in this, whether I was I was just about to start work at the taper. I was just about to do this. I said, I want to do a Seinfeld. And like the audacity, right? I said, I want to do Seinfeld. But I'm not nobody, you know. Um, Things were going well for me, but I was nobody. And uh, literally the next day, by some miracle, they got me an audition for for. Seinfeld. So they sent me over the next day. Besides for this, they said, we, 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 your wish is our command. We got you an audition for Seinfeld. Now, at that time, the head of casting for NBC and for, and you know, he was always the casting guy for, for Seinfeld was Mark Hirschfeld. Right. So Mark, Friend of this show. Yeah, we spoke with him. So Mark, 
I love Mark Hirschfeld. I, I would love him anyway, even if he hadn't given me Seinfeld. But although I guess Jerry gave me Seinfeld, but um, but uh, but Mark is just a truly, truly great guy. Like he's a really, really, he's a really, really, as you know, great, great guy. Yes. And I still love him. Um, I saw him, I was testing on a show for him last year. I love this man. He's a great guy. Um, so back then it's really different than now with auditions, or at least it, it, it seemed different. It, it felt different when they had a role like on Seinfeld, I guess, cause it's well underway. Now the show is super, super, super big deal at this point. Um, yeah. When they had a role, they didn't have self-tapes and like 700 submissions. They saw like 10 girls, like all really good. I'm sure they were all like, I'm sure everybody was great. I was probably the least well-known on the list for all I know. But um, it was, they didn't, it was 10 or 15 girls, like very, it was not very democratic back then. Like Mark, mm. Mark saw who he wanted to see and who he knew wouldn't jack it up in front of Jerry. And that was that. And so... I remember going in and doing it. And I remember like, I, I, I didn't mess with the lines. Cause I, I'm very, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a drama school girl. I'm a Shakespeare girl. So I don't, I don't mess with the words ever, but I do remember I added like some noises and shit. Like I did some shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The noises you make with the, uh, the facial. That's a great yeah. sound. Yeah. I just, I can't remember, but I remember like, I, you always are trying to get, the rule for sitcoms, because I'm friends with a lot of producers. I mean, I'm sure anybody who's been doing this long is, is friends with a lot of producers. But the rule of thumb when you're auditioning for and you want to book a job for a sitcom is that you have to hit every single laugh they wrote, right? You can't miss any laugh they wrote. And then you need to find a couple laughs that weren't there, mm. right? Because hopefully any competent actress is going to get every or actor is going to get all the laughs that were there. The question is who can get extra laughs, right? Where they didn't see a laugh. That's like where it's not a joke. So, um, and, uh, you know, that was true for Silicon Valley too, which I took very seriously, but they're like, a lot of people didn't see how it was funny. Right. Um, and, um, but when I read it, I right away was like, Oh, I, I know who this person is. Like this was very much in like where I live. Um, but in any case, so I, I, it was young and I, whatever did. So when I got to set, so cut to when I got to set, Jerry told me when they were doing the, and I normally wouldn't hear this, but Jerry just happened to mention it to me. He said, you know, when you auditioned number one or two had it and three came in and two still had it and four came in and two still had it. He's like, and you were like number 11. And then you took it. Oh, wow. So whoever number one or two was had it until I went in and probably was great. And, and maybe it's better to go later. Who knows? But he so said, it was, yeah. so it was Jerry Hirschfeld was, was Mel, since Melman wrote it, was he uh, in the audition as well? No, I don't think he was. If, if Peter was in the audition, I don't remember him being in there. But, you know, it's entirely possible he could have been and I wouldn't have known because I didn't know Peter. Mm. And, you know, I was in a room with Jerry Seinfeld. So <laughs> it's like uh, it's really going to be the only thing I care about. Um, and I was I, I don't get nervous. I'm not a person who gets nervous, but I definitely was aware that I was auditioning at like NBC with Jerry Seinfeld. It was a, that, 
no matter how well things were going for me, that was a big deal. Right. The funny thing was I thought Peter and I are friends. Like I don't, I haven't seen Peter in a long time, but like, I love Peter Mellman too. Yeah, like when I say I, show I, too, right? I did. So I did. It's like, you know, a few episodes. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, Peter Melman's batshit crazy. He's completely <laughs> insane. He's brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And I don't know Jill Franklin as well as Peter. Peter was more like, I know they totally wrote this episode together. This was not like, it's not like only Peter's episode, but mm-hmm. I talk about Peter just because I don't know Jill like I know Peter. And like when I was at set, I was always standing and talking to Peter just because it, he and I sort of became friends. Well, we definitely became friends. And then he had me do, it's like, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, if he was in the room, I honestly, I honestly don't remember because I was just concentrating on it. And then, but the thing was, <coughs> excuse me, the, the thing that's crazy, and, and I hope Peter will forgive me for saying this, but when I got the sides for my agents, as appreciative as it was, I was like, yeah, it's, it's okay. I didn't think it was like all that. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. And what I really thought was brilliant, what was, the, what was to me the gold and has always been the gold is the anti-dentite stuff. Okay. I mean, I think that is probably some of the best writing that's ever been done ever. Like season, like the 10th episode for Silicon Valley or whatever it was, ninth or 10th, the masturbation episode, the, the one that's yes. like, it's one of the best episodes. Like, I, Absolutely. No discussion. One of the best episodes ever written. I wasn't in it. I'm allowed to say it. And, um, and the anti-demtite writing, like that's up there with some of the best, like pretty soon you're going to be saying they should have their own schools. That stuff is really, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Like there's a reason Seinfeld, it will never stop being funny because that, that is just as funny then as it is now. I mean, that stuff was so funny. So the yada yada in comparison to me did not seem as funny as the anti-dentite stuff and the like the sitting on the kneeler. There was just so much funny stuff in that. Yeah. Um, but um, but ours was kind of more uh, struck a struck a, 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 a common a common nerve, right? So theirs is tighter, faster, funniest writing, but ours was more uh, uh, popular. That's free. Yeah. 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 It was based off, I guess Melman told the story when, when we had him on that it was based off someone he had just met for a lunch meeting and just used yada yada a lot. So we kind of threw it in there. Um, we kind of agree with you, actually. Yada yada kind of took off as like the you know, the staple of that episode, but to us, it wasn't really the, maybe the strongest part, but I mean, your character was obviously, like I said, the, that, just that noise on the, uh, you know, when you went, you got the facial. Is, I mean, is I great. haven't seen it. I don't even, I think <laughs> my kids have seen it. I don't know. Um, I, I haven't seen it in a really long time. I did go into my garage and I really wouldn't normally do this, but I was like, I wonder if I had the script and I, and you know, I've saved a lot of shit. Our garage is just full of stuff. And and then I, it all kind of came back to me. I have a really bad memory, really, really bad memory. But um, I remember that I was really trying to like, you know, I was trying to like be cool. Like I'm on Seinfeld. This is no big deal. I'm not going to like get my script signed 
I know Jason because Jason and I have like theater crossover and I'm doing a Broadway play. I'm doing Neil Simon like Jason. I'm not going to act like this is some fancy (laughs) thing for me. Literally like three weeks later, a Seinfeld signed script from the yada yada went for like $44,000. I was like, mother girl, like what? Why was I trying to be like a poser? You know, why didn't I just like, so I don't even think I have the damn Seinfeld script, which you can believe me. I would like, I would put that, I would float that in a box and hang it on my wall. Not because I'm proud of myself, but because it's so dang cool. It's yeah. like the coolest thing ever. And I, I could have had five of those scripts changing. Like I did that for a couple of two guys and a girl's episodes, like save every single episode, every single rewrite so that you have it from how it started to how it ends, which is fascinating. Yeah. Although I don't remember there being a single rewrite on yada yada if so there, if there was i don't remember so speak so yeah let's get to the script actually so when you saw the script for the first time first off because it's funny the yada yada episode and during this interview you haven't said yada yada you, you went you were talking about deborah mess and you said blah 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 i just find that fascinating <laughs> but which i use as well so were you familiar with what yada yada was and like how do you kind of get into the mindset like what they tell you what did they tell you about Marcy? Like, how, like, how do you prepare for that role? They didn't tell me anything. They really don't tell you anything. And particularly for something like Seinfeld, there wasn't like some character description. I just was like, oh, she's a sociopath <laughs> and, and a fast talker and a sociopath. And that's, you know, I can, that's, I, that's my wheelhouse. I don't play nice people. I don't play soft people. And Jason, they love putting Jason with people who are not like, you know, he plays so, nice and soft i mean he's insane too and a, and a jerk on the show but but they love to put him with women who are are tougher, like tougher. right that's so, true so i knew i didn't need to you know i've gotten the like smile more note on a lot of shows i used to because i was when i came out to la i was testing for everything with all the girls that went on to have leads of shows and i wasn't getting the shows i just wasn't getting them and it's because I don't read. Um, so I was up for like all those jobs that I didn't get. Um, but I don't have that. Um, I don't have that quality that lead of series girls have. I just don't. I don't have that. Like somebody once said to me, um, because I would be really upset. Like I'd be testing on an hour long. I do a lot of hour. Like I'm one of the people who does both hour longs and half hour. And I, I you know, there were a couple hour longs I just desperately wanted. And I thought I'm dying. Why, why can't I get this? And a producer friend of mine who likes me, but he doesn't pull punches. He said, Suzanne, um, Americans for leads of series, the women always have to be fundamentally broken and you don't seem broken. Mm. And they have to be women that other women want to be and men want to take care of. And that's not you. No man wants to come and like protect you and take care of you. Like I don't have that quality. So I'm great for like a, for a Seinfeld guest. Well, agree. I mean, your character in Silicon Valley is perfect. I mean, that's right. And actually like the way I got two guys and a girl was because I didn't have to go through that testing process because networks always want these, like these delightful, wonderful character, these actresses, but like, you know, that, that, but they have a fundamentally, neurotic broken quality and um that is uh equivalent to femininity i guess and that like this part did not require that and 
Ashley, when I auditioned for that, they brought me in to read with Ryan. And I was like, I'm not going to get this. I'm 10 years older than this guy. Um, but they wanted somebody funny. Danny didn't care about that. He already had trailer being a kind of that lead of series, uh, feminine person. He didn't care about having like a ball buster and he wanted someone who could, uh, give back to Ryan and actually age him up a little bit. And so, uh, so I got three and my callback for that part with Ryan, cause I, I had to do a chemistry read with Ryan. I only did three lines with Danny Jacobson, you know, who created Mad About You. Yeah. Um, I did three lines into the scene. I've never had an audition like this in my life. And Aunt, and Danny goes, oh, for fuck's sake, just give it to her and walked out of the room. Because <laughs> he just wanted somebody who who he thought was funny. So, right. so, so, I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, they didn't give me any notes about Marcy. And I think I just like clicked in with her because I was like, oh, this can be, I don't have to try and pretend to be somebody different than me. I can just sort of be, I'm not saying I like, well, I actually have shoplifted. I used to shoplift. Um, For real? I, yeah, I did. Now, is this back in like high school days? What, what? College. College. Really? Yeah. Up in, did, up in Yale, did, huh? Yeah, I did a little shoplifting back then. Um, and I think I was. Like bubble gum? What are we talking about? A lot of people go through that phase. You kind of like sheet, a man a little. Like sheet sets from Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> I was not a poor girl. I really did not have an excuse. I was a Greenwich kid. Um, I think it was for the adrenaline rush. Yeah. And I think I was maybe had some more uh, mental health issues than I probably realized. But I knew that it gotten to a point where it was not okay because I was friends with one of my philosophy professors who was this very young Frenchman. And he said, oh, Susan, I somehow it came up. He goes, I would like to see you shoplift. <laughs> I took him with me. That's a little weird, isn't it? I took him with me to Macy's and he watched me shoplift. Yeah. And then I was yeah. like, this has to be. Then he gave you a philosophy lesson on why you shouldn't be doing that. No, I mean, it was like a weird, like, I didn't have sex with my philosophy professor. I shoplifted in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> now, I got to stay on this just for a second. Sheets are pretty big. It's not like I said, it's not like a pack of gum. It's usually in the, it's usually. In no, the I was good at it. Uh, yeah. I, I was not a bad, I was a good shoplifter. Huh. He's discreet, I guess. My husband, then I, my husband, the guy I ended up marrying, I stole a shirt for him. In That's college, love. And we didn't date back that then. That is love. I, yeah, I stole some shirt. Yeah, I remember doing that. I forgot about that till I was just talking about that. I well, think what, there's like a, a, what do you call it? A, a, a time limit on, I hope Macy's can't come after me. I feel really bad about that. Shoplifting is really bad. Like yeah, kids, I know oh, it's bad. It hurts the economy. Yeah. The only thing I want you to steal is the, the script from Melman so you could put it on eBay. <laughs> I have, like, I actually have, like, I, when I was looking out there, I found one of my It's Like You Know scripts. Oh, there you go. Um, oh, yeah, nice. I have that because, and that was Melman. Melman, uh, it was, I had so much fun doing It's Like You Know. I, I don't know whether that show was any good or not, but yeah, what happened? What happened there? You know, I, 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 it was a weird show. That was a weird show. But I got to work with John Bennett Perry. You know, Matthew Perry's dad. It was me and John. He played 
we were newscasters. So we never were in the show. We were always on the television because it was like a, it was an LA show. So we would be like reporting on a car chase. Like, you know, they, like people watch a car chase all day long, yeah. like particularly back then. That doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Anymore, but this was like pre OJ when we would spend all day watching our car chase and John Bennett Perry, he was this very like good looking, gray haired, older man who was really, really good at playing stupid, really good at playing dumb as dirt. And I played, of course, as usual, mean and smart. And so we would sit at the news desk and it was my character was younger than him and furious at him for being an idiot. And that's that's so he had us on like two or three episodes. It was so much fun. But yeah, yeah so Melvin and I first became so when so when I was on the Seinfeld set, I would stand there and I'd stand usually over at the side with Melman. And Melman was like, you know, writers are all, they're all crazy. They're all like totally neurotic. Right. And you never know, like they're all those guys in high school that, that weren't the most whatever, but then now they're the most, they're, they're the most, like everybody, you know, like Melman's a big deal. But so you never know whether they're posturing and I didn't know Melvin. I was just like, you know, I was new to LA. It was like, really, I hadn't been here very long. Right. I didn't know who he was. And he's like, Suzanne, this episode's going to be really big. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, sure it is. Like smiling, like, yeah, you know, I want the writer to like me. because, And I love him because he was cracking me up. And he's funny. But like, I was like, yeah, I don't know that this episode's going to be big. Like not any bigger than any other Seinfeld episode. He's like, no, Suzanne, I'm telling you this episode is going to be like one of the biggest episodes we ever had. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But then slowly as the week starts going on, Melman's like, Suzanne, they're giving us like eight extra minutes or whatever it was. It was insane. I mean, the minutes on Seinfeld for advertising cost right. like a billion dollars. And they were giving us, the network started thinking this was going to be a huge episode. And so they gave us, like, they were giving us millions of dollars worth of extra time. So it, then it sort of started becoming clear that it maybe was sort of going to be a big episode. Um, and, and then it was really a big episode. Now, of course, as you guys know, not all of it, I think some of it's in the DVD, but you never actually, we were just, it's actually on Netflix too. I think some of it, when we just noticed when it went to Netflix, there was about six extra minutes added onto the Netflix, Uh uh, version. I think there's like a Mont Blanc pen scene with me and Jason that gets cut from the prime. Oh, that's time. not on. I didn't see that on Neff. We didn't see that. Is that you know, we were going to ask you if there's any other scenes that weren't. Uh, well, I haven't seen it in so long, but I think like I remember I had. That's the pen you stole, right? I had a bunch of scenes and I remember there was a scene with Jason in his apartment. I mean, I really loved working with Jason. Like I know Jason sort of not like I didn't know him before, but like Jason and I have a lot of crossover and I really, really loved working with him. He's also, I mean, he's so, so funny, but he's, I just, I really liked, I wished like Marcy wasn't such a sociopath who went to prison. Cause I would have, I would have <laughs> come back. Um, but, uh, yeah. but she really was a one episode person. She was not, you don't need more of Marcy. That was enough for her. Yeah. Um, but uh, I remember doing some, scene in 
the apartment sitting on a couch, like in his apartment sitting on his couch. And I really don't remember it at all anymore. <laughs> the, so was um, it in there? Is it in the not, show? Not that I saw. No, not that not that we saw. But there is, you know, it's interesting. You're you're talking earlier about Deborah Messing. I mean, that that whole episode was packed with Deborah Messing, Brian Cranston's in that episode, Robert Wagner's in that episode, uh, Danny Woodburn, Mickey. Yeah, I mean, just oh, I love maybe, Danny. Yeah. Oh. That that must have been kind of a fun set that that week, no? Well, yes and no. I mean, and Danny, like Danny, I would see all the time afterward. Danny's the best guy. Um, I mean, I wasn't like in love with that storyline. I thought that story went like that was not that wasn't my my favorite storyline. But Danny can make anything funny, and so can Michael. Right? I mean, the two of them together can make anything funny. Um, I just thought it was all about the anti-dentite. Like that to me was like, that was the gold. And the rest of us were padding out the, the anti-dentite. Um, but uh, it was a quiet set that week a little bit. I think it's really hard for me to remember because people always want to have stories. And first of all, I'm bad at stories. But second of all, if I remember correctly, they were in contract negotiations. Mm. This is and season eight too. And I think there were some very serious contract negotiations going on. And so my memory is that it was very quiet on set. Like not mean, but like there was an, there was an, and I didn't know, like I had never been a series regular. It's not my set. I had done like a few, like I had done like Dave's world and I've done like a few things, but I, like, I really was very, very new to doing this. I was comfortable in it. Because I had a musical theater background and a stage background and stage actors tend to be the best at sitcoms in the old school sitcom way, because it's an audience. So we can, we can handle the laughter. Um, and a lot of people get used to get fired on sitcoms because if you can't handle that studio audience, it's you're out. Um, but so stage actors tend to do well with, with, with that. So I was having fun, but, um, but, uh, I do remember, I don't remember like Jerry being grumpy or like he seemed in a great, like he's, I think he's one of those guys who's kind of always in a nice mood and Jason, obviously, <laughs> like everybody was incredibly nice, but I just remember it being sort of, it seemed to me based on my extremely limited experience, which it really was limited at that time. It seemed really quiet on set. And I mm. thought Ooh, contracts are going on. I think contracts were going on. So until that was sort of resolved, but they also, they had really sweet, crafty, like they brought out sushi and like there was money there. There was money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And especially yeah. that, and Larry David was not on set. He wasn't, yeah. he wasn't on the right? So I, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, well, and it's funny you mentioned Melman knew it was going to be big. So, you know, maybe there was a lot of pressure on this episode, the additional minutes, more ad revenue. I, I don't know, but it's pretty incredible. So you were a 30 year old, right? It's funny. We spoke with an actress uh, earlier this week. And she met Hirschfeld, Jerry, Larry, like literally on the sixth episode. She so she didn't sense like the pressure, right? Right. You came in on like season eight. You know, it's averaging over thirty million every Thursday night. I mean, it's a really big deal. So yeah. How did you kind of like? I know that, you didn't. Didn't even that just doesn't like that's not like it didn't. I wasn't worried at all. That's like, incredible. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, first of all, 30, like back then 30, when you got to LA, back when I got to LA, 28 was like a magic age. Like everybody wanted to be 28, which is hilarious now. 
because 28 is like grandma now. And I'm literally like great, great, great grandma now. Like, oh, come on. But no, but that's what like, that, that's what, what Lauren Brown, I, I, I'm not holding Lauren Graham accountable. Like I know knew Lauren from way back too. I'm not holding Lauren personally accountable, but as soon as they cast her as Lorelai and it was like, you can have a baby at 13. <laughs> that was it for all of us. Like never again was a mother going to be the right age. Like never again after Gilmore Girls would anyone ever. So it was all like, but what I'm saying is back then 30 was like actually like still young in LA. Um, but, but now really it would be like, really it's, it's old now. And but, she was, um, a, she was another Seinfeld alum. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, everybody, I mean, I know all these, we're all about the same age. Like I know them all. I know like so many of the girls who did Seinfeld and um, but yeah, I don't, to me, like, even though I was new to it, it was sort of like everybody else always was wanted to be movie stars. And I never, ever was interested in that ever. I've never, ever, ever, ever been interested in movies. I mean, I was really excited to do Wag the Dog, you know, but that's because your agents always wanted you to do them. But I always felt back from the beginning that TV was the only thing I was interested in doing. And what I really wanted to do was sitcoms. And so I remember like being on Two Guys and a Girl and having people come up to me and say, well, now that you are on Two Guys and a Girl, you can like start a movie career. And I'd look at them like, what? Why? Like, why? Why would I want that? And now, of course, I have proven to be totally correct. And they're all want to be on TV now. Nobody wants to be in a movie anymore. No, and no woman wants to be in a movie. Cause you can have a baby and a job and like, I can go to work and like I did Silicon Valley and never missed a school pickup. You know, it's like Mike judge. Yeah. We wanted to Alec get to Berg, that. Alec Berg. Yeah. Greatest guys in the entire world who I w- literally would like, you know, kill my children for like, literally they are the greatest guys in the entire world. But like, they gave me like this beautiful life for six years where I just like was totally able to, do a role that I was obsessed with and be part of one of the best things ever written and not, not miss a school pickup, you know? So TV is where it's at, particularly for women. And also just, it's what people watch, but back then stars didn't necessarily want to do TV. It was, it was a really different, it was a different vibe. It was, it was still the, the ugly stepchild. And I never, but I never, ever felt that way to me people were stupid. They didn't see what was beautiful right in front of their eyes. Like it was so obviously the way into the living rooms of middle America, which is where you want to be, you know? Why is is that? Is it the, Oh, the Oscar, like, like what is the, the romance with, I'm with you. I'm a TV guy. Yeah. I think it's mistaken notions of prestige and I think it's just stupid. And, and it's not like, Oh, well, TV's better now. I'm sorry. No, you know, I grew up with Mary Tyler Moore and Upstairs, Downstairs and I, Claudius and all in the family. Norman Lear was already making something better than anything else around. And, and I'm not saying that I didn't love going to see ordinary people, but I've never. Uh, the one thing I feel like I have um, is self-knowledge and I'm not Meryl Streep. Like there's no camera that's going to linger on my face and see the deep pathos in my eyes. Like I don't have it. Like that's just not me. 
So I know what I can do. I'm, I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And so maybe it's partly survival mechanism for me. Like why dream of something that isn't right for me, but it's also just like what I enjoy. Now I'm not saying I enjoy every sitcom. There's a lot of sitcoms. I really, really, really don't enjoy at all. Um, and, uh, and uh, that I don't get, but Seinfeld was a show I enjoyed. Frasier was a show, show I enjoyed. Um, and even though normally two guys and a girl would be the kind of show that might fall into the category of things that like I wouldn't enjoy because I, I don't love the stuff that's really, really, really broad. Right. Uh, I felt like two guys and a girl was a really underappreciated show. Like I think, and as evidenced by like the, you know, look, look who we add on that show. I mean, yeah. Ryan, Ryan's a master of stuff. And he was back then too. He, you know, very, very, he was a pro even at 21. He was really extraordinary working with him as a, as a young guy. And Nathan's always been hilarious. And Rich Ricola is incredibly good. And Trailer's like rock solid actress, like underrated rock solid. It was really, really and yeah, some of it was dumb and maybe some of it was a friend's ripoff, but we also did like some really cool stuff. So, you know, just because we weren't Seinfeld, I don't think it was something that was like to be embarrassed about. Like I actually, I'm proud of that show. I think that show is really cool. Yeah. I was a fan of it when it was on for sure. Um, but I was a huge fan of Silicon Valley. I know you touched on it, but I just, I have to ask, cause it does involve a Seinfeld alum with Alec Berg. I mean, your character yeah. Silicon Valley is absolutely amazing. I think it's one of the best characters in the last decade, to be honest with you. Um, and, um, you know, Mike Judge is a genius. Obviously, you mentioned the that. The two of well. them. I mean, it's yeah. magic. The two of did, them. Did you touch? Did you cross paths with Alec Berg on Seinfeld at all, or you just so, got yeah. Silicon Valley separately? And, I think we did. And, but the, but the thing is like my memories of Seinfeld, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're doing, when you're doing a sitcom, there's like a million people down there, you know, and um, there's writers everywhere. And then you've got the actors. And then as much as I wasn't nervous, cause I don't get nervous. I never get nervous, but um, I still am trying to do a good job. I don't want to like, I really, you know, actors want to please. I think it's all you want to do is you want to please. I want to please Jerry. I want to please Jason. Right. I want, I want, you know, Julia to think I'm not like incompetent. God, you know, God help me. The queen of like female, you know, I, I don't want her to think like, Oh, this is a crappy guest star. Like, right. you, you know, so I'm very much cognizant of that. And you want the director to be, you know, it's Andy Ackerman's directing it. And Andy's like, godlike. So you want Andy to like you. And then, you know, the writers you're going to be working. If you're lucky, these guys are all going to go off and do other shows. Like, so there's so much pressure right. on you. And, and it's all this bunch of like white guys who are funny that talk fast and you can't keep track of who anybody is, <laughs> you know? I mean, really there was the la there was not a lot of diversity back then. Did you, yeah. did you know that? I mean, cause this was kind of your, I mean, you did a couple sitcoms, right? Yeah. But like, you know, like Melman wasn't in theory a, a, a trained sitcom writer. These guys kind of just—I don't want to say made it up as they went along, but um, they talk about it. It's like Jerry, Larry, you know, Melman and Larry right. Charles. Like it was a really small knit group that kind of yeah. had to take off. Also weird. I mean, that's why it worked. I think they were all yeah, yeah. 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 Did you? Uh, and I'm just mm -hmm. curious. So before Simon, I know you mentioned to your um, agent, like, put me on, like. You were clearly a fan of the show. I'm just curious. Like, Huge what was fan of the show. 
huge fan of the show. Um, and I felt like I was exactly the right age. Like, you, you, like it wasn't like, oh, put me up. Like, you know, I said to my agents, put, can you get me an audition for Game of right. Thrones? No, but you know, like I'm not going to get on Game of Thrones. That's not going to happen as much as I'm a super fan. But like Seinfeld, I felt like this is something I could do if the role's right. You know, right. it's not if it's not if it's like a model or not, if it, but like if it's the right role and it just was just kismet. It just happened to be a role. You know, I don't think I was like a knockout enough to play Jerry's girlfriend. His girlfriends were all had like big Morgan Fairchild hair and like, you know, that like I, that wasn't going to happen. I think I was right for this role. My hair thing is funny, though, because um you know, I went in to like audition for it and like some like, you know, you know, you dr- you're 30, but you dress 20 kind of like long sleeve funky t-shirt with whatever that I was wearing. Um, and uh, the Seinfeld hair and makeup department was really, really old school back then. Like really, these were like people who've been doing this for 20 years. And, and it really has changed in the past 20 years. Now it's all stylists, you know. Um, but, like, hair did not move. Like, they, you know, and then it's, like, sprayed into oblivion. And I walked out onto set for tape night, you know. And Jerry took a look at me and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he starts going like this flat trying to push down my hair because it, like, it's not moving anymore because they made it into this, like, whoosh like this big dome of dome of spray. And so it was really funny, like with Jerry, like pushing down my hair on set to try and like make it poof down to make it look more like a re- real person hair. Right. But uh, yeah, but I, I did not have the big uh, Jerry, Jerry girlfriend hair. I was more like, a, you know, a, a weird New York actress hair. So, uh, so yeah. you mentioned um, the friendship with Deborah Messing. So, was it a surprise when you realized she was on the show or I forgot? Yeah, to- totally, totally. And I didn't overlap with her at all. So I don't, I don't even remember. Like, oh, you didn't I, see her? You didn't see her on set or anything or? Yeah. I mean, I became friends with her more later mm. because we had gotten out of school at the same time, but then her husband, he was actually her boyfriend at the time. And I played brother and sister um, at, in, in Arcadia. So then we started overlapping more. So I knew who she was because we were all the same kind of time period and everything. And I, I, I'm not saying I didn't know her. We knew each other. but And then I worked with her because um, I played an agent on Starter Wife with her. Do you remember that show? It was sort of like, it's kind of a cool show. I would have been happy doing that show for a long time too. I loved that role that they had me in. It was, I was playing like a powerhouse agent. Um, but yeah, it was Deborah's show where she like sang and danced and had all these fantasy sequences. But yeah, uh, Deborah's, Deborah's really incredibly talented, but she was, you know, she was not, she didn't have a big part of that, that episode. So I was, you know, I was worried. I mean, I'm, when I say I don't get nervous, I don't get nervous, but I was worried about my stuff. And I had right. more scenes than you saw. Like I had a lot to do. And, um, 
you know, I was concentrating on not messing up Seinfeld. Like you, <laughs> you don't want to go and mess up Seinfeld. Right. They got so me no, the job, but like, don't mess it up. So. Right. No interaction really then with Brian Cranston either. He was in that episode. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think I spoke one word to Brian Cranston. <laughs> No, yeah, you didn't I mention uh, Michael Richards either. I guess you were mainly with, with Jason for most of the time, right? I was really with Jason and Jerry. Okay, and yeah. um, and uh, I, I don't think I even spoke two words to Julia. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I maybe at high at Crafty. I, you know, like I, I've seen her since then and stuff like that. But like, yeah, it was a quiet set. And they've been in this, you know, I'm a series regular. I know what it's like. You're not like sitting around chatting with the guest stars who were there for three days. Like I was talking to Jason because Jason and I had a lot, a lot right. of overlap. Like not only were we working together, but he and I would have been the most naturally organically friends outside yeah, of the yeah. show anyway. Like I've seen him at plenty of parties since then. Like he and I have a lot of overlap. There um, you go. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I you're working particularly with shows like Seinfeld and Frasier, you're working really, really fast. Right. They, you're, yeah, you're, I mean, well, you, got, you got off to a, a quick start. I mean, the, the scene with Jerry and George in the diner, George talking about the hot tub, like, yeah. boom. And you were like, like, with those two great characters, like, the chemistry was there, like, you could feel it. So, like, you set the tone for the show right away. Um and I think that that shows and it was just just a great performance um, by you. And I'm just curious, you, you mentioned Frasier. Um, how was the vibe of Frasier? It was because they talk about Seinfeld, very professional, like you said, it was kind of a quiet set. How did that differ from Frasier? Obviously, that was a, an all time show as well. Yes, it was. And Frasier's really fast moving, which I love. I mean, that was back in the day when the network wasn't all over your ass about everything. And so they let these shows really move fast and just do it and get done. And there might be a few of them out there, but I don't know. It's things don't move as fast anymore, but they, it moved really fast and Frasier moved really fast, but you know, Kelsey and David are theater actors. So that's like, like I knew David, I didn't know him personally, but I had seen David like work, as a theater actor, as a very young man, like I had picked him out doing two shows when he was very young. And I was like, that guy, like playing tertiary roles. And I was like, that guy's literally like stole the show. Like when he played Laertes and when he played Demetrius or Lysander, I was like, I've never seen anything like this guy. Like he's unbelievable. So those guys, when you're dealing with theater actors, um, we're fast, like fast, like fast. And so they let them go fast and they had really fast directors. So Seinfeld was fast and Frazier was fast, but Frazier was a little bit more like chatty. And also um, Perry, like Perry, I'm still friends with, it's not like I see her or like for dinner or something like that, but I see Perry a fair amount at theater openings and I really love Perry. She's, Perry's like, so the warmest person in Los Angeles is Perry Gilman. Like literally, like as nice as she seems on Frasier, that is Perry. Um, and uh, uh, so that was a very warm, like, well, we're having a jewelry sale up in the dressing room. That was, there was a little, it moved really fast, but it was a little bit more um, theatery. It was a very theatery vibe over there is how I would describe it. Um, and Kelsey's really funny. Like he, Kelsey's just, Kelsey's a funny guy. Um, well, 
Well, speaking of fast, um, this conversation went really fast, and this yeah. was this was a blast. But I do want to ask you one final thing. I heard you were a science teacher before you jumped into acting or a teacher in general. I was just going to say, Tony and I actually got into Seinfeld uh, every day in, in biology class. We would um, talk with our biology teacher about Seinfeld from the night before. So we have that minutes. we have that connection. Um, but tell us a little bit about that. I didn't so do you that well that year in science, by the way. <laughs> so listen, I'm not a science teacher. No, I mean, what I, what I taught sixth grade. Oh, it's a fun grade. I taught everything. And I taught science. Yes. And then, um, I taught sixth grade in the New York public school system. Um, after, right out of, after I got out of Yale undergraduate. And then, um, since then I've taught, um, volunteer teaching so like I'm probably like I'm not supposed to say this for LAUSD union stuff but I did teach science in the classroom to support because like the teachers are spread really really thin in the elementary schools so it's hard to cover all the curriculum so I would go in and teach science uh two or three times a week while the teacher so we would separate so I would take care of all the science which is weird because I really am like an English lit person right but i have a bunch of stemmy stemmy kids um so in fact christmas vacation is going to be doing uh micro microparticulate research with uh my uh 12 year olds for the science fair they're going to be doing i don't know it's air sampling stuff so um yeah i think uh uh science is i always found that teaching science in elementary school like when i was teaching it as a sixth grade teacher that was when the kids were the most excited. And yeah. it's really a shame to me that it's often the subject that gets skipped by teachers. Um, and with all due respect to teachers, and I don't mean to criticize them, but because they don't do any, um, they don't do any benchmark testing in science, the teachers don't have to teach it. So if you're going to skip something, particularly in elementary school, they skip science because they have to teach for reading and math because they're being assessed. So mm -hmm. science tends to get overlooked, but um, from an integrative learning, this is now becoming really not, not very fun, but I think that's really a shame because when I taught in a very challenged school, one of the worst schools in New York and the projects in Brooklyn, um, with a very uh, economically disenfranchised population and kids who were all way below grade level. Um, by far, their highest level of excitement was when we did science in class because it's a way to have like all of the learning kind of coalesce and have something to do with the world. So to me, it strikes, as, it strikes me as a really big missed opportunity that we don't, uh, we don't lean into science a little bit more, particularly for, for young women. Um, and we see the effects of that later. So yeah, I'm really interested in science education. My background is very much liberal arts, but I think I'm a decent science teacher. I've taught a fair amount of geology now and some, some other stuff. I think I'm I'm decent at it, but I do miss. Um, I it, it, I should have been a teacher, not an actor, but um, there's longer well, legs on it. So yada yada yada, it, it helped you out, right? And that, that was that expression was trying to be crazy as a uh, English lit major, but. Um, that was a great I story. A I have a mug with yada yada. My parents, my parents bought it for me right after. They're like, look. <laughs> some people spell it with one D and some people spell it with two. So I'm like, I'm a fan of the one D, but, um, but uh, 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 
because that's what my mug has on it. It just seems to me better that way. But um, yeah, I'm that glad is, that's Peter the official. on the show because Peter's Peter's really he's mad, right? He's mad. He's, he's a great yeah. guy, though. He's, he's a great he's guy. He's just a mad, wonderful. Like he's really. He's just really funny and really so insanely smart. <laughs> really smart people working on that show. Um, they really did. It was really an exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting listen. thing to be part of. It's 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 fun to be able to be part of something. There, there was one other thing. Are we done? Or can I? Tell no, you no. One? Go ahead. Let's no, keep going. Of course, of course. Uh, so I was. Uh, I've told this story before, but but I just it's worth mentioning. So. So I finished Seinfeld and then I went off to do Neil Simon's play and, um, and we toured all around the country and, you know, it was kind of a big deal because I, you know, I was playing like this young, I was playing Neil's first love. Um, and she's sort of the lead of this play and, um, and the beginning of the play, I'm waiting to go out on stage because I, I, there's a little bit of a scene before, but then I run on stage in the darkness or whatever. And I, I can't really remember. It's all a long time ago, but, um, but talk about pressure with like Broadway plays and the money and stuff like that. There's an enormous, enormous, like I felt the pressure then because you're like, I have to get a good review in the New York times. I have to get a good review in the Houston times. I have to, you know, I have to get a good review at the Kennedy center. Um, but the thing is, is that Broadway audience notoriously, even then, they want stars, right? Um, and uh, I was not a star, you know, I just, I wasn't. I was just this 30-year-old actress who had done, like, you know, the rivals at Hartford Stage, like, it was like and, and a couple, you know, I, I wasn't known for doing a sitcom yet. I didn't start doing that till afterwards. And... Um, I would stand backstage at the very beginning of the show when the audience was totally dark and the curtain was down in that pre-Broadway thing. It's really exciting and it's dark and you'd hear it get quiet and they're looking to see who is this girl because Scott Caldwell, who played the, the, the maid in this play, it was like a 1950s whatever play. It's she, it's she and I, it was kind of like our show. It was this women's show. And people kind of knew who Scotty was, but people didn't know who the F I was. And you would hear as the curtain, as the audience went to dark, all I would hear is yada, 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 the entire audience whispering because that was the, they're like, oh, that's who she is. She's Wow. It was insane. Every single night in New York. And also like, it's a, there's a heavy Jewish crowd in the audience, like of theater supporters, arts lovers. Right. So this is like people, there is a definite crossover with Seinfeld of like intelligentsia, art lovers, Jewish people. Like that crossover was like the right. perfect thing who then also like Neil Simon. So it was really like Jerry Seinfeld, Neil Simon, comedy, <laughs> Judaism. Wow. Like literally, it just crack me up every night. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Great story. Yeah, that is a great story. Well, Suzanne, this has been great. Um, I know you talk about a lot, but thank you for being your genuine self. Um, Yeah. It's always great to see. And we had a blast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm glad that people are still watching the show. I, I watch it every once in a while. And I'm like, wow, this, this show holds up. It really 
And Jason Alexander just makes me cry. I just, I just <laughs> like, I just love, I just, I was citing him the other day because um, I, 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 like, you feel stupid, but I was, I was talking about um, when he was, that's it, I'm out. That, that episode, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Because I had made like a dinner for my kids. I had made chicken pot pie and I was like, I got to leave. I got to leave now because I'm not going to do better. Like that was, I know. I'm not going to do better. I nailed it. I nailed it. I'm out. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> awesome. You nailed this too, Suzanne. Thank you so oh, much. You guys are sweet. Thanks. It was a pleasure Thank talking you. to you guys. I'm Thank sorry you. I'm such a chatterbox. Oh, no. That's ah, great. All Thank the best. So this was great. Okay. Take care, Thank you guys. You. Thanks, Suzanne. Take care. Bye-bye.